there is a big change happening. I think we've probably all heard about the great resignation. The shift has really come into the employees and employees are now saying, well, I don't want to, you know, travel so much. I don't want to be working these crazy hours. I want more balance in my life with my family. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers and leaders. With thanks to our partner Connect Now, Elevate brings you the best tools, thinking and strategies to elevate your results. To get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast, visit joineliteagent.com. And for more information about how Connect Now can make moving easier on your clients, visit connectnow.com.au. Here is your host, Samantha McLean. Welcome to another episode of the Elevate podcast, where we delve into some of the most interesting minds in business and in real estate for the very best tips and strategies for you to implement to elevate your business. I'm Samantha McLean, editor of Elite Agent and host of today's show. My guest today is Quantum Leap Global founder, Marianne Hines. With over 20 years corporate experience and a Bachelor of Behaviour Studies in Psychology, she's also a certified psychological safety trainer. So Marianne, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. That's quite a mouthful there. I know, right? But, um, you know, there's some really interesting stuff there. And, I mean, before we get started on the psychological safety stuff, which is which is why you're here, I should mention to everyone that you and I go, go back a fair way. Um, and we met at PwC back, well, it must be 10 years ago now. 2010, wasn't it? Maybe 2011? Yeah, so I know. Um, how, how time flies when you're having fun. Exactly. So before we get started on the reason that we're here today, which is which is to talk about psychological safety and how important that is and building high-performance teams, I just want to um, dig into um, your recent real estate experiences because you've just recently sold your grandma's house. Yes, we have. Yeah. So how was that experience? Because the agents, there were two agents that had um, – gone and seen my grandmother quite regularly or called her, so sort of stayed in touch. Um, so we sort of had an idea. There was some trust built between my grandmother and also um, my auntie, so her daughters and my mum as well. So it was relatively seamless. So how did you ultimately decide which one was going to get the listing? Well, one of them, unfortunately, right at the very end, um, I think he got my grandmother got sick and had to go to hospital. So I think he got a bit spooked and he sort of disappeared and never came back. So that one sort of made that um, decision pretty easy. But with the other uh, real estate agent, there was a negotiation with the commission rate and he was able to come to the party to sort of meet us halfway. And so I think it's because he had built trust and also he was able he was coming to the party with the negotiation that we ultimately went with him as well, rather than going back out. Like I don't think I think if he hadn't negotiated, we would have gone out and for other quotes as well. Yeah, interesting. And so you ended up going to auction on the day that the floods sort of started yes. happening. What what was that experience like? Well, we didn't know what was going to happen because, I mean, thankfully my parents who were up there as well had a big land cruiser so they could get through a lot of the flooded roads. Um, But the real estate agent and the auctioneer were so, they they were professionals about it and they handled it. People that needed to be there were there or on the phone. So we ended up having, um, despite the crazy weather and the flooding, we still had, we had 
at least two bidders and people in the house. So it all went well and we got a great price for it. So we were happy. So back to our PwC days, that was at a very, a very different corporate world to the one that you're trying to reimagine now with your new business. What's changed in the corporate and business world and why do leaders, why do you think leaders need to reimagine the workplace? I think given the disruption that COVID has presented on, on a global scale, there is a big change happening. I think we've probably all heard about the great resignation, but the shift has really come into the employees and employees are now saying, well, I don't want to, you know, travel so much. I don't want to be working these crazy hours. I want more balance in my life with my family. So what's changing is that this old, the employer has the upper hand, the command and control environment doesn't work for people anymore. People want to go to work. They want to feel um, like they're able to become the best version of themselves, that they're able to contribute to something larger, develop but also, you know, help the business achieve their goals. And to do that, it requires like a leader that is inspirational and about collaboration and about the collective and actually does genuinely care for, for the people. And I think we've probably all seen many a times throughout our career where we've had organisations that go, we're all about the people, but then as soon as something happens around, you know, COVID hits or something, the first thing to go is people. And then the next, you know, following week, they're talking about profits and things like that. So um, our focus at Quantum Leap Global is that you can have profitable organisations, but not at the expense of people. So it's really about people playing a profit and leader, leaders play a critical role in that when they're being of service rather than what's, what's in it for me. Yeah, it's really interesting what you're just talking about there with the great resignation. Um, I, I think um, if even if it's not resignation, it feels like it's realization. Like it's yeah. a great realization out there, even if you know, even if you can't resign. Um, what are some of the some of the other things that you think make a great leader in today's environment? First and foremost, leaders need to do the work on themselves. So they need to be self-aware. They need to know who they are as a leader, what they stand for, their values, their purpose. And then from there, um, go out with authentic, um, inspirational type leadership. And I think gone are the days where this is what I'll tell you to do, but I'm going to go off and do something completely different. It's about walking the talk. It's about authenticity, trust and honesty as well. And I think transparency to agree. Obviously, there are some occasions where you can't be transparent about that. You can be transparent that you can't that you are unable to sort of disclose certain information. I think the more that you have that open book approach, people it builds trust. And when you've got trust, then that's the foundation to um, high performance and great teamwork. It's interesting too that you know COVID's been a pretty tough time for leaders as well. Like you know it's been pretty hard for leaders to show up and and you know be open and authentic especially you know in in times when you're worried about your own business and things like that what sort of tools can leaders lean on if if they are having a bad day but still want to show up you know well for their people yeah it's interesting you say that because I did um I did several interviews probably about 20 interviews with leaders around the globe and they were all struggling with their own well-being and their own mental health and then wondering how do I take care of my people when I'm struggling and um, we're in this remote sort of environment. 
And the number one thing that I would say is, and it's a bit like the oxygen mask analogy, like you literally have to take care and fill your own cup first before you can take care of others. You can't take care of others. And that's not just from a family perspective, but I'm talking about your team and your staff if you're, if you're half empty. So whatever it takes to fill that cup and to meet your needs is what has to happen first. And I don't really buy into it. I don't buy into I don't have time for that. I just have, there's, you know, things to deliver on. Well, if you're not taking care of your needs, eventually your health is going to suffer and you're not going to have a choice in the matter. Yeah, well, that's it. Um, I, I read this expression the other day that, um, you know, people who have their health have a thousand dreams and people who don't have their health only have one dream, which is their health. I love that. Yes, it's so yeah. true. I want to talk about psychological safety today because that's something that your business specialises in. And I think it's probably quite a new thing for the real estate industry as well. So can you explain what psychological safety is and how it relates to high performing teams? So psychological safety is when people, and I will say all people, meaning not just the dominant culture, all people of all levels in all different roles are able to um, show up to work as their authentic selves and use their voice and their different perspectives and contribute without fear of being blamed, shamed, ostracised, silenced, or, you know, maybe miss a promotion because they challenged the status quo. So it's just about people feeling safe enough to be bring their true selves to work and to use their voice because we can have the best diversity in the world but if we don't have authentic inclusion in our teams where everyone has a voice, then you're missing out on the benefit of why do we have diversity? Because diversity brings the best solutions. We need different thinking. We need different um, cultures and backgrounds to come up with new ways of doing things. Particularly in a VUCA world, um, there's a lot of volatility, uncertainty, complexity and ambiguity out in the world. And for that to meet that and to address it, you have to be agile and that requires the power of the collective. It's no longer can you do it as a, as a single a single person um, or rarely can you do it. Um, the biggest success is when you've got the collective working for you and foundational to that is psychological safety. So we're not just talking about, you know, having a great diversity policy here. We're actually talking about allowing everybody to show up and and have a voice some people might find that concept really scary yes and i would argue that they find that scary because there is a lack of psychological safety because psychological safety isn't about a free-for-all to throw in um say what you think without care or concern it's actually about um it's based in trust and respect so when there is psychological safety there is trust and respect. And when people step outside of those boundaries of what is acceptable behaviour, meaning it's not about personal, it's about um, the work, et cetera, then they're actually called up on it. Whereas I think we've all had that experience where, you know, but the majority of people are great people and they contribute, but then you've got the, these odd dominant voices in meetings that are allowed to just dominate and take over and they can be toxic and it just infiltrates through the whole team. So what happens is people go quiet. And when if you've got that silence happening in your room or in your meeting rooms or in your teams, you know that there's an issue that needs to be addressed. Yeah. So if all of a sudden a couple of your sales team just aren't contributing to meetings or anything anymore, you've it's a good sign that you've got a problem. 
Absolutely. Workplace silence is one of the key um, indicators that there is an issue. Um, also, cultures of uh, yes, you know, they'll say yes to your face and they're all in agreement, so no one's disagreeing with anyone. So then you hear the rumours, you know, the water cooler conversations where everyone's like, well, I didn't agree with that, that was ridiculous, blah, blah, blah. But none of those perspectives are being actually shared in an open forum, safe forum, so that they can be addressed because that's the perspectives that you need to be able to work through and get better solutions and approaches. It's hard and uh, a lot of people will probably agree with me in the real estate industry that um, it's hard, I think, for agents to reach out and say, I need help or I'd like to have a voice on this because any sign of weakness can be construed as, um, you know, well, a weakness really um, yeah. it, it is it is really hard because in an industry where you've got to be resilient and you've got to continue to pick yourself up after a setback and things like that um, it can be really hard what do you think um, leaders can do to make it easier for people to you know speak up set boundaries that sort of thing I think there is a there's a difference between resilience and vulnerability and, you know, not being capable. And so I think that's the real, like, to be, like, vulnerability is there, it's a strength-based action and it's up to the leaders to actually demonstrate that and exhibit what, the behave, that, what that looks like. And it's not about, you know, starting crying in meetings and all of this sort of stuff. It's actually just about to say, you know, last week I had a really tough week. I struggled with this client and this is what I was facing and I actually don't know what to do. Anyone got any ideas? So it's actually him saying, well, this is what's happening to me. I'm human. We all go through stuff. Um, anyone got any ideas? And then inviting in um, different perspectives. But then I think the key part is to actually receive it and not get defensive about it. So as leaders, um, it's our role to role model what that looks like. And resilience, I mean, I think I think most real estate agents would have a lot of resilience and um you know, so I think that's one thing that I'm pretty sure you guys have gotten spades, but then it's the vulnerability part because when you have to pretend everything's fantastic all the time, it's actually just not realistic because we're humans and we all have life experiences and we all have peaks and troughs of and ups and downs of when, you know, things are going well and things aren't, but how much better is it when you're actually working together and problem sharing and solving together because I can guarantee you whatever you're going through someone else is going through the exact same thing and when you speak up and share they will go so glad you said something because now I wanted to talk about this it just opens the way vulnerability opens the way for others to share as well I just want to say this is important too because you've done some studies which actually um, show that psychological safety impacts performance not just of the individual but the whole team to what extent is that the case? There's been heaps of studies done on this. So if we look back at the work of, like back from the mid-1960s, um, it, it has been studied. But then in the mid-90s, uh, Professor Amy Edmondson did decades worth of study on it and really popularised the term psychological safety. Now, that's just a bit of a background to say this has been studied for quite a lot of time. However, in her work, what she really came up with was um, it's a matrix that you look at the difference between when there is high psychological safety team with high performance standards, then you've got that high performance zone and that learning culture. Whereas where most organisations sit, 
um, and I've certainly been in these organisations as well, they have high performance standards, but there's low psychological safety. So you're sitting in, yes, you're performing, but you're only performing at probably one-fifth of what you probably could be because you're still managing that interpersonal risk management. So can I say this? Can I not say that? Well, that person's more senior than me. So all of this energy is going into um, maintaining your safety as a person rather than going into the performance. So Accenture also did a, um, a study on it and up to five times the potential of individuals can be released when there's psychological safety. And can you imagine if you released even double the potential in each of your individuals, let alone five times, then what's that going to do to business? Like that's just going to send business skyrocketing. And I think now more than ever, like we've been asked to do more with less and you can, you can if you know how to tap into the potential of your people and psychological safety is foundational to a performance culture. It's foundational. Yeah, so we're we're talking about productivity here because I think um you know just sheer worry sometimes is the biggest productivity destroyer ever. Absolutely. Because you spend so much time worrying about something that might actually never happen. Exactly. Or how yeah, or how you might look if um if you say I don't understand that or yeah, all of those sorts of things. So so what you're saying is take away the worry, free up some time. Yeah, so it, it's simply that's exactly what it is. So, and leadership, business owners, um, that's their role to create those environments. It has to come from the top down. So, and once we create those environments for people to be authentically themselves, they stop doing, they stop all of that wasted energy and it starts to go into performance. They come alive, the team comes alive, the business comes alive or grows even more which I'm pretty sure it's what we all want. Yeah, absolutely. So if I'm a leader and I'm sitting here listening to this and I'm thinking, yeah, I've got someone here who's saying yes to me all the time and I've got someone who's gone quiet on me and won't talk to me, um, what are some of the things that I could possibly do with those individuals to turn it around? I would first of all look at the behaviours of yourself as the leader of the organisation and just become very conscious of the language and the behaviours that you're using. So um, are you inviting participation? So sharing what's going on and then inviting feedback and then authentically receiving the feedback. Because sometimes we hear things that we don't like and we may get triggered, but um, that's part of the self-development work to go, okay, I've been triggered here personally, but that's actually about my own healing, not about the situation. And then... Once you've set up the environment, then I would be having the conversations, you know, first of all, one-on-one, just to say what's going on, where are you at, and then connecting. Because I think that one-on-one connection, you can't, you can't skip if you want to create high-performing teams because you need to understand what drives individuals. They might have something going on in their personal life that you're unaware of. So having that understanding of the whole person rather than just the performance person so I think in a lot of business, we like to deal with the performance side of people, but when it gets into the people side, the messy side, we want to send that off to, you know, employee assistant programs or maybe HR. And they're great departments. However, what it says to the employees that, well, when it's messy, go over here. I just want your performance self. So how am I going to get you back to performance? Which just sends a message 
okay, I'm just a number, I'm just here to perform. So what you're saying here is that the one-on-ones is, is crucial? Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, obviously when you're in a very large organisation, one-on-ones, like a CEO to one-on-one with everyone, it's not possible, but there will always be people managers, I would hope, for the larger numbers. So I think understanding uniqueness of individuals, because we all have different drivers and motivators, and understanding that, and then what are their skills and capabilities and aligning the work to that where possible. You know, it's not always going to be perfect, but a lot of times leaders that I've spoken to, I'm like, well, what motivates them? They're like, well, I don't know. And I said, well, have you had a conversation? That's all it takes. It's like a conversation to get to know the individual beyond just what your needs are. And obviously it might be tricky to get people to open up to you. Like, you know, I know myself, you know, conducting interviews like this on the podcast and stuff, sometimes it can be really hard to get people to open up. What sort of questions would you ask someone in a one-on-one if you suspected that they weren't feeling safe in the workplace or to get them to talk about what's going on for them? I think you'd have to leave, uh, lead with the vulnerability yourself just to say, and not assume what's happening with them. So to say, I'm, I'm sensing, I'm sensing or I'm observing these type of behaviours. Is there something going on? And then also giving them an out, saying if you're not comfortable talking about it, I just want you to know I'm here. And if you need additional support, what is it? But trust isn't given like that. It takes time to build trust. And if there's been a history of um, actions or things that have been happening that have, destroy trust, then you can't just expect a one-off conversation to build the trust again. It's going to take some time. But the only way I personally would recommend regular communication, but if you suspect there is like something that they need more additional support, then that that is where EAPs and those sort of programs, employee-assisted programs, in case people don't know the acronym, um, come, come in handy. Yeah. Let's just say everything's great in your office, like you've got a great learning environment and, you know, and a, and a great culture and things like that. What are some tips on maintaining that? So communication um, is very critical. And so I would be looking at, so if you have your vision and your, your aligned purpose um, and that is shared regularly and spoken about regularly and you're communicating the progress, People are really clear on their roles and responsibilities, so you have that, um, and that's how they're getting measured and held accountable from. If you have communication forums where people are able to come in and discuss what's on their mind or share what's going on or what they're seeing, um, and I, I would like to add, like, hierarchy is really in good in larger organisations because it keeps the machine going. But hierarchy does not have a place when you're coming to innovation, brainstorming, creativity, because you want people um, from all levels and all different backgrounds to be able to bring their different perspectives in. So it's just actually about creating the environment. And it does take work. High-performing teams don't just happen. Otherwise, we would have high-performing businesses all over the world. It does require, like, concerted effort. And I would just be looking at your frameworks so how do we, every week do we operate that is supporting um, the well-being of our people but also the development of our people um, and in turn all of that impacts the profitability and the success of the business. Because I think, I think people have got it the wrong way. They've gone, we've got to focus on the numbers. 
No, focus on your people. Trust me, the numbers will come. Obviously, you still have to have your financial strategies and targets and things like that, but it's the people that are going to help you achieve it. And I think what you're saying here too is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, you know, to have a wellness program is probably not enough, like, you know, depending on your definition of wellness, um, because what we're talking about here is something quite different, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Wellness, wellness programs are fantastic, but I would say like, what is the need for wellness? If we're creating psychologically safe environments where people aren't burning out and aren't getting um, asked to do things beyond their, you know, their energy levels and their well-being levels, then, you know, if we have psychological safety as the foundation, as the hallmark of all organisations, and I think you'll find that the need for well-being programs are going to become less and less. So that's not to say they're not important, but it, they are two very separate things. But if yeah. I was to choose between psychological safety and a well-being program, I would absolutely go the psychological safety um, program because it's then the people will be telling you what's of benefit for them rather than the other way around. Yeah, what what they need for wellness. Yeah, yeah. I sometimes feel like the wellness programs can just be a bit of a, oh, well, we've got a lot of attrition burnout, so we'll just put this program in to make it, you know, make it look better. I'm sure you're pretty, pretty right about that, not just in the real estate industry, but, but, but everywhere. Yeah. Um, so in the work that you're doing at the moment, like how do you work with companies to start, you know, solving these sorts of problems? So we offer a, a whole of organisation approach to psychological safety, but psychological safety sort of exists on a continuum. So you're never, um, you're never at one point for long. So it's all about we work with the leaders to equip them with the language behaviours and the change in um, mindset and beliefs and perceptions that will help them build and sustain it. So um, depending where the organisation is, it could work from, if they're starting at ground zero, it can be creating a whole of organisation strategy around psychological safety, looking at their policies, look at risk management governance, but then it's the leadership development. And we use transformative approaches. So it is about not just dumping a bunch of information onto people. It's about how do we you to actually embody how, how you build and sustain psychological safety. And then, of course, there's always measuring, like, what's the baseline? Where are we at? Are we on track? Do we need to make some adjustments? So depending where the organisation's at um, as to what will be. So it's a bespoke approach. We'll leave some links in the show notes so that people can maybe get in touch with you if, if they're keen on learning more. Um, Another question I always like to ask on, on these um, podcast episodes is, is, are there any books out there that are your favourites where you've kind of learnt a lot from that, that you'd also like to leave as a, a bit of a hint as well? Oh, I love reading and I've got so many. Um, from a business perspective, the, the one that really helped me recently was Building a, a Story Brand by Donald Miller, brilliant book, and very um it gives you practical tips as well to apply. Um, one of the books that helped me make the big leap into Quantum Leap was, I think it's called The Big Leap, and Guy Guy somebody, I can't remember his last name right now, but, um, but also from a business, Profit First. Profit First is a really good one, and um, Atomic Habits, another really yeah. good one to just um, – setting up those structures and those systems 
that are going to help you succeed or, you know, improve your success. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's good Good habits are where the quantum leap comes in, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's been wonderful to catch up with you and thank you so much for coming and sharing a bit because this is, this is actually quite new. This is the first time I've certainly talked to anyone about the idea of psychological safety. There's plenty of conversations about wellness, but I think this is a really important one. So thank you very much for, for coming on the show and talking about it. If there was one final tip or piece of advice... What would you like to leave everyone with? We are all humans and we're all, we're all having similar experiences, maybe just at different periods and stuff like that. But if you start with your own self-awareness, development and wellness, um, you're going to be able to take that out to the world. But it starts, so it's like inside out, not outside in. I think we can get caught up, and I certainly did this as well, get caught up in, okay, it's the next, you know, next promotion or the next salary or it's the next car or the next house, but you just end up on this hamster wheel and it's non-fulfilling. So if you do the work, and there's nothing wrong with all of those things, by the way, but if you haven't done the work internally to really connect with what you want, then you are going to burn out and you are going to have, you know, challenges down the track. So my, my guidance for everyone is just, Start with the work inside and then that'll um, infiltrate to what you're experiencing out in the world as well. And it's really important for leadership, really important. Great advice. Marianne Hines, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Lots of fun. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Elevate podcast with thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast. Visit joineliteagent.com.